Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. All right, if you're listening to this right now, that probably means one of two things. Somebody had asked you recently to speak in front of another group of people. You've gotten your first public speaking gig or maybe you've done one of those before and it didn't go so well and you wanna go back, start over if you will, and try again and you wanna get the right information, the right mindset, the right to-dos so that you can actually do a good job when you're up there in front of those people, whether it's a small audience or a big audience or Perhaps in the future you want to do that and make speaking a part of your thing, whatever your thing is. I've been speaking for a very long time now, about eight years, and today I have a very special guest on, Grant Baldwin, longtime friend of mine. We've been on the speaking circuit together for quite a while. We've spoken at the same events. You can find him over at thespeakerlab.com. He also has a new book that came out recently with his good friend Jeff Goins, another former guest on the show called The Successful speaker, and today we're gonna take the position of Grant and I are gonna work together to help you, the first time speaker, leading into your first talk. So it's like you've just gotten booked, you've just gotten signed, whether you're getting paid or not, this is the thing to listen to to put you in the right mindset. We got a lot of great goodies for you so that you can have the confidence to crush it when you get on that stage and have it be a successful part of your business too. So listen in, this is gonna be a good one. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, may once grow a beard but then scared himself in the mirror, (laughs) Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Welcome to session 416 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Pat Flynn. I'm here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. One way to help people is on stages, and we got Grant Baldwin on the show today, and I'm not gonna make you wait any longer. We're just gonna dive right in. Again, you're coming up on stage. You're gonna have confidence after listening to this show, so stick around. Hey, Grant, welcome to the SPI Podcast. Thanks for being here, man. Pat, it is a huge, huge honor to be here, man. I've been listening to the show for a long time and you've been a, a big influence. And I, I know you hear a lot of people say that, but uh, genuinely appreciate you. Uh, let me hang out with you. Yeah, we're gonna hang out for sure, but we're also gonna help everybody listening because you may be listening to this because I told you, go listen because you're about to speak on stage and you wanna know how to approach it, how to approach the talk, how to approach the presentation, how to make the best of your time when you get invited on stage. I think we all know that getting on stage is great for your business and for authority, 
let me before we get into that, Grant, why are you in love with the stage? What what has it done for you and, and why do you recommend people go on the stage? Yeah, speaking is one of those things that can be kind of polarizing because people either love it or hate it. You and I both geek out on it. It's a lot of fun. And one of the things that's that's really unique about speaking that I think is different than other forms of content, whether that's a blog or a podcast or a video or whatever, is you get the real-time feedback from the audience. So for example, right now, at this very moment in time, Pat, there may be thousands of people who are listening to this, but we don't get to see them. We have no idea what's happening in their world at this moment as they are uh, digesting all of this, right? Versus like whenever you're on stage, whether you're in front of 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, you get the immediate real-time feedback of what's happening with the audience. You can see as they're nodding. You can see as they're smiling. You can see as they're laughing. You can see as they're taking notes. You can see as they're totally confused and lost. And so it gives you that real-time feedback that you can you can use to, to make your presentation and your content better, not only just from a speaking standpoint, but taking what you speak on and getting that feedback and applying it to some of those other forms of content that you can use. So speaking is just an, it's an incredible, incredible way to make a difference, to make an impact and to share your message with others. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I also uh, believe it's an amazing way to build your authority. I also love speaking for the benefit of connecting with the other speakers, the room that all the speakers kind of get access to backstage. And I've met some amazing high level people in those rooms. And when you're in that room too, you immediately have some authority and it's just kind of insane the kind of connections that happen there too. So there's so many benefits of speaking, which we could talk about for days, but I want to help everybody out who's listening because I want to assume that everybody listening to this is either about to speak on stage for the first time or they've done it before and maybe it didn't go as well as they wanted. Let's just say we got booked for our talk. Grant, what's the first thing we should be thinking about to maximize this effort and make the best of it? Well, for the talk itself, whenever you're putting together that presentation, you want to do as much research and homework about the client and that audience as possible. And whenever you're putting together the talk, one of the things that you want to do is you really want to begin with the end in mind. What is the point of the talk? Where is the place that you're trying to take that audience to? So you want to imagine that, think of it like a road trip or think of it like you're going to the airport. You want to pick everybody up at the same spot. You want to take them on some type of journey. You want to drop them off at the same spot. So uh, another way to think about this is as you're creating your talk, as you're delivering your talk, the audience is always asking themselves two questions. So what and now what? So what and now what? So an mm-hmm. audience wants to know, so what? That's great that that happened to you. That's great that you've built a successful business. That's great that you've accomplished this thing. That's great that you won a gold medal. That's great that you are a war hero. That's great that you overcame cancer. But what does that have to do with me? How does that apply to my life? So what? The other question is now what? What am I supposed to do as a result of this? So Pat, you and I maybe have, and I'm sure many others have listened to speakers or we've seen speakers before and we we leave the room going like, it was good. I don't really know what to do with it now. Am I supposed to think different? Am I supposed to act different? Am I supposed to feel different? What am I supposed to do as a result of that? So you want to be really, really clear as you're creating the talk and presenting the talk is what am I, what do I want the audience to do? What do I want them to think? What do I want them to feel? What do I want to happen as a result of the talk? So those two questions, as you're creating the talk, always, always, always keep those questions in mind. So what, why does this matter to the audience? Why should they care? And now what, what do I want them to do as a result of it? But obviously it matters who that audience is. And you had mentioned a very, very important piece of advice in the beginning, which is research that audience. How do you go about researching that audience? Where would you start? 
Yeah. So you can do this in a couple different ways. First of all, most events are going to be booked anywhere from three to six months out. Now, some events are going, the bigger the event, the further out they're going to book a speaker. So bigger events may be booked over a year in advance. I've had some that are booked, you know, well over a year in advance and some that are booked, you know, no more than a couple of weeks in advance. So whenever you are first talking with that potential client, you're, that's the time where you're starting to gather some initial information and get clear on who is this client? What are they looking for? A good question to ask them is what does a win look like? I walk off stage, I see you backstage and you are either thinking that was amazing or that was a complete dud. And so you want to get as much feedback from that, that potential client of what does a win look like? What does a, a home run look like? Cause it's always going to be slightly different. I can think of some clients who said, Hey, I, I, we really want you to have, you know, some really compelling, you know, information on this or this or this, you know, whatever the nature of the topic is, we really want them to have some key actionable takeaways. Uh, but I remember a couple of clients who said, this is more just kind of a, uh, more for entertainment value. You can give them a point or two of something to think about something motivational or whatever, but we really just want you to be funny. Like just be, tell us jokes, tell us stories and entertain us. Right. And so the, it, it's two, it's two totally different types of, of audiences in that situation. So you want to be really, really clear with the client, what it is that they are looking for. Now, as you get closer to the presentation and closer to the talk, usually what you're going to want to do is do a pre-event call, usually a week or two before the event. So let's, let's kind of think through a timeline here. So let's imagine, for example, that you book the event, you know, today, but the event doesn't happen for six months. Now, that's a lot of time between point A and point B. So again, you're going to gather some information at point A right now. And then again, usually uh, a week or two before the event, you're going to do one last kind of follow-up call with the client, kind of pre-event call is what we call it. Just again, touch base, make sure you're on the same page and see if anything has changed with the schedule or the details or who's going to be there or what's the point of the event or when you go on and all that type of stuff to make sure that it aligns with what it is that you're planning on, on speaking about. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I would highly recommend is I think a misconception for speakers is that each time you speak, and this is something, Pat, I know you and I have talked about, each time you speak, you do not need to be creating a brand new presentation. So assuming you are going to be speaking on a regular basis and you're going to be speaking to different audiences, what you want to be doing is really using either the same talk or versions of the same talk each time you speak versus creating something new each time. And you do this for a couple of reasons. One is you want to remember that, again, each time you speak, you're getting that real-time feedback from the audience of what works. So whenever you're creating a talk for the first time, you're typing it out, you're writing it out, you're really making an educated guess on what you think will work. I think this will be funny. I think this will resonate. I think this will click. I think this will make sense. But I don't fully know until I get up on stage. But each time you speak, you get that real-time feedback that you can adjust and you can tweak. And that way, each time you tell that story, the story becomes better because you've gotten that feedback and you know what works and you know what doesn't work. So you're getting that feedback uh, that, that helps you to, again, deliver the presentation better each time that you speak. So from that, whenever you get ready to, whenever you're talking to uh, that potential client in that last week or two, ideally, you already know what the talk is going to be about based on the conversation you had originally several months ago. But at this point, again, you may be adding in some different case studies or some different uh, stories or examples that are going to maybe specific to their industry or to their audience or uh, something along those lines. So I'll give you a quick example. A few months ago, I was speaking to a group of um, this company. It was kind of their end of the year corporate gathering. And it was a group of hotel owners, basically. Uh, they owned, a, owned and operated a whole bunch of hotels all over the Midwest. Uh, and so I was there to speak. And so I have a bunch of stories that I can pull from. But one of the stories is specifically about hotels 
sales and travel. So I wanted to make sure that I used that story so it was specific and relevant to them. Now, that's also a story that I could use in other contexts with other types of audiences. But I wanted to make sure that I used that specific one because, again, it was specific to their industry. So again, that that pre-event call is to gather all the information and any last-minute tweaks that you want to be making to the talk. Whenever you have that call, what you don't want to be doing is like, okay, the, the presentation, the gig, the event is a week or two away. All right, now at this moment, now I'm going to start working on my talk. You, you should already be really clear on what the talk is. Have it largely set and ready to go. But based on that call, you may make a few other tweaks before you actually get ready to present it. Do you recommend diving into the demographics of the audience as well and perhaps level? Sometimes I like to go into presentations knowing, well, are we, am I talking to an advanced audience or a beginner audience? So beyond just asking the client or the conference director or my contact there, like, hey, what would make this presentation great for you? It's, well, how helpful would it be for my audience? And I kind of want to know a little bit about where they're at. How, how do you go about finding that information out? Yeah, so you can do this in one of two ways. Uh, one is that again, you can kind of ask the client to figure out. Let's you know, let's say that you're speaking to a group of restaurant owners, for example, right? And you're you're talking with them. You're trying to get a sense of like, are these people who are uh, brand new who have opened the restaurant for uh, have owned and operated the restaurant for less than five years, or are these all veterans who've been at it for thirty plus years, uh, or is it a mix of both? Oftentimes, it's going to be a mix of of all of the above. So that's one thing you could do is just again by asking the client and trying to get a sense of who's actually going to be in the room. The other thing that you can do is that you can uh, you can ask the client if you can get the, the contact info for five or 10 attendees who are going to be there. And you can either email or call those people ahead of time just to touch base with them. Say, hey, is this, a, is this a conference you come to on an annual basis? Or is this something that you're required to come to? Or is this something that is optional for you? Because uh, that alone is a good piece of information. There's a huge, huge difference between audiences that want to be there and audiences that have to be hmm. there. The audiences that have to be there are just like, all right, do your thing speaker boy, because I, I don't want to be here. My boss made me be here. My mom made me be here. Someone made me be here. I don't want to be here. Get along with your, uh, your, your dog and pony show. I want to move on with my life versus someone who like really wants to be there. They're there to learn. They're excited about it. Uh, and they're really looking forward to, to your presentation. So if you can do some of that research with actual attendees ahead of time, and start to hear from them. What are the challenges that you're running into in your role or in your company or in your marriage? Or, you know, obviously this depends on the nature of what it is that you're speaking about and ultimately what's the problem that you're solving for them. But if you can talk with some actual attendees and hear in their words, then it might resonate with what you're, with the, what the event planner or client said, or it might be something slightly different. Like the client thought the primary issue that the attendees were having was this, and really, it's kind of a, a variation of that. And mm -hmm. so sometimes you don't necessarily know that unless you actually talk with those that are going to be sitting in the audience that you're going to actually be speaking to. And you can even do research on social media. A lot of people like to talk about and get excited about the events that are coming up. They'll use the hashtag. So I often do research on the hashtag. And you can even, instead of making a phone call, in some cases, it might make sense to just do a quick direct message. And I, I'll tell you, like attendees, love and appreciate when speakers take a little bit of time to focus on just them as the individual, like really cool things happen. And then you meet them at the conference and it's like, hey, I was the one who DM'd you. I mean, you already have a yeah. friend when you're there. Just, I love that. 
Yeah. And another thing that you could do there is go to the, and some of this depends on the schedule, but you know, let's say, you know, you're, you're speaking Tuesday afternoon, but there's a, a, a session or two in the morning. I, I like to go to some of those sessions just to sit in to kind of get a vibe for what's going on, right? Are people excited to be there? Are they energized to be there? Is this early in the, the event or the conference, or is this the last day and everybody seems exhausted or what else is going on there? I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of examples. I remember speaking at something, this was about a year ago or so in Colorado, and there was a a huge blizzard that was hitting at the exact same time as the event, and it was just jacking up everyone's travel plans. So everyone's head is kind of like half there, half out of it, uh, because they're thinking about these other things, right? And so I'm kind of, I like to sit in the session ahead of time to see like, how are people, are people engaged? Is there anything that they're saying from stage to talk about this or anything that they're, that I need to be aware of or I need to think through? which I'm sure we'll get into, but but knowing what the environment is is also a big factor for how a presentation or a talk can go. So for example, if if right before I'm about to speak, or, or let's say, again, let's, let's say that I'm speaking in the afternoon and I go to a morning session and the CEO of the company says, hey, just a heads up, tomorrow we're going to be laying off 20% of the company. Um, but this afternoon, we have a great speaker. You're really going to like them. You know, it's like, okay, I need to know that going into my presentation or going into my talk because I need to know, you know, what's going on or where people's heads are at. So even just sitting in presentations ahead of time, again, gives you a little bit of sense of what the what the mood is, what the tone is of that event or what, of that conference. Cool. Thank you for that. Uh, let's rewind a little bit. We're at the conference already. I want to talk a little bit about the creation of the talk and your best practices and pieces of advice for for creating that, um, especially for the first time goer who's literally like staring at a blank screen and not even knowing where to start. Where do we start when it comes to this talk that we want to give? Yeah. So you definitely want to do this before you get to the event, well before you get to the event. All right. So if you're already at the event and you're like, okay, I speak in an hour, what should I talk about? All right. You've, you've missed the boat. You've, you've the, good luck. Uh, you, good luck. you, you gotta, you gotta go back in time on that. You need the DeLorean. <laughs> so you really want to be thinking about this again, well in advance of the, of the presentation and the talk going back to a little bit of what we talked about of kind of beginning with the end in mind, what's the main idea? What's the main point that you want to leave people with? The nice thing whenever you're creating a talk is there's no right or wrong methodology to it. You know, it's like, like some people say, you know, you need to have an introduction and then you have three points and then an outro. Uh, and some people say, you know, you need to tell them what you, what you're going to tell them and then tell them and tell them what you told them. And like that, yes, they both work, you know, as well as there are a lot of great Ted talks that are, you know, short, tight, 15, 20 minutes that really makes one key point and they drill that home and that's it. So when you're creating your talk, again, you're kind of creating a roadmap here of kind of the points or the ideas that you want to make. One thing I would say that's really important for anyone is to use a lot of stories. Stories are incredibly memorable. Stories are incredibly relatable. And so a a fun line that I like to use is if I'm speaking, I'll say the line, let me tell you a story. And I'll notice the audience all of a sudden perks up. And so I noticed that that they start paying attention because if I say, let me tell you a story, you have no idea right now where this is going. Is this going to be funny? Is this going to be sad? Is this going to be depressing? Is this going to be boring? Is this going to be inspirational? No clue, but it's a story, so I'm in. And people remember stories. Like there, there are times where you'll leave a session or you'll leave uh, listening to a speaker in any type of context and maybe a few hours or a day goes by and you're like, I don't really remember what that talk was about. 
but I remember this story that they told. In fact, this, this, this happens on a weekly basis with my, my oldest daughter. I have a uh, teenage daughter. She's 13 and she goes to our, our, uh, our church's youth group on Wednesday nights. And this literally happened at the time of this recording. This happened, uh, two nights ago. I go pick her up from church. She just walked out of youth group. She gets in the car and I ask her, how is service? How did it go? What did the youth pastor talk about? And she immediately is like, ah, ooh, uh, don't totally remember, but he told this story. And then she goes in for the next five minutes and verbatim tells me this story, right? And that's the way most humans operate is we remember stories and we, we relate to stories. We connect with stories. And so as a speaker, one of your most powerful resources is to use stories, ideally first person stories, stories that, that you experience, stories that are memorable. Pat, I remember when, uh, you know, a few years ago, I helped you for a minute with, with a talk that you were working on and I still remember the cup and the change and I'm trying to remember like the details. I remember, I think if I remember right, you were on campus. Yeah, on campus at UC Berkeley. And yeah, I was, this is a guy that you passed on a like a daily basis that all students passed on a daily basis. Um, that everyone kind of knew that this guy was around. The God bless you, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, am I am I right on any of yeah, those details? You, all those things are right. Okay, so again, this was what a couple of years ago, three years have, ago. Yeah, I, we have not talked about that story since. We have not talked about that guy. I have not heard you bring up that guy or anything about him. But I remember a few of those details of the story. Because again, it's a story, it's memorable, it's relatable. So again, I think the other part is, again, it's a first person story. It's something that you experienced versus, I think there's absolutely like a time and place to say, you know, let me tell you this case study about Tesla or Apple, or mm. here's this guy in the 1800s and he did this thing. And it's like, that's cool. But it's also interesting when, you know, you're sharing a story that you lived and that you experienced, because I think that that, again, that's going to connect with the audience more. So again, one of the most powerful things that you can do as a speaker is to tell stories, uh, a good example of this is if you look at Steve Jobs' commencement address at, I believe, Stanford several years ago, uh, and it's on YouTube, uh, and it's like a 15-minute talk or so, and he tells three stories, and that's basically it. So it does. it's not like he has to go deep in, in all these thoughts. It's, it, I'm going to tell a story and make a point and tell a story and make a point and tell a story and make a point, and that's the talk. So that works really well is to use a lot of stories. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, a lot of people who know me and have seen me speak on stage know that it's always story driven. And I start with a story that leads into a point. And that's the best way to keep people on edge versus, all right, guys, I want to tell you, I want to, I want to make a point about how important using Facebook ads are. So let me t tell you a Facebook ad story. No, I'm going to tell a story about a product that I really wanted to get into people's hands. And I was just struggling all day. And then one day I found this thing called Facebook ads and I used it. And that's why this is important. And now you can root for me. And now we can all kind of be in the same seat and figure out how this worked. And, and I love storytelling too, because for me, I remember my first presentation and I once spoke about it here on the podcast and you, you all might remember that really embarrassed about the way I approached it. I wrote down every single word I was going to say, like word for word, and I memorized it like an actor would memorize their script. And I just kind of recalled all that. I later learned that that's not the way to go because you potentially sound robotic. You don't allow for those in the moment creative things to come out. How do you recommend a person be comfortable with, I have to deliver this talk, but I mean, do you recommend everybody write every single word or how, how would you approach this sort of preparation? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I I do like manuscripting it out. Now, the difference becomes is I, I've manuscripted it out. I've thought it through, uh, but I'm not using it as a script that okay, I have to memorize verbatim. Yeah, exactly. Got so it. I'll think of it this way. If I were to ask you right now, Pat, tell me about whenever you tell us all about whenever you proposed to April. Like you could tell us that story right now and it would be fine. But if we said, all right, take 20 minutes, go write down the story of how you proposed to April uh, and then come back and tell us, you'd probably tell the story better because you thought about the details, you thought about the moment, you thought mm-hmm. about what the weather was, you thought about where you were, you thought about you know each other's reaction and emotion and yeah. who you called first and what you did. And so thinking it through and really detailing it out is probably going to make a better story. And so whenever you're creating the talk from a manuscript standpoint, I like to write it out word for word, but I don't want to memorize it in that way. I want to have the essence of it. I want to know where I'm going with the talk. I want to know that this leads to this, leads to this, and then I have this transition and that's going to lead into this story. I'm going to make this point and then it goes to this joke and punchline and I want to know where it's going, but I'm not trying to memorize it as a script. So a way to think about this is, you know, if, if Pat, if, if we, if we are at a basketball game and someone's singing the national anthem and they butcher the lyrics, everybody there knows that they butchered the lyrics because they know what the lyrics are supposed to be. But if you're giving a talk and you forget a line or you say something wrong or you tell the points out of order or you forget a story, nobody knows Nobody has any, it's not like they're following along Until with you the tell script. Them. Yeah, well, and <laughs> which I don't you, think which you, you shouldn't have do. to tell them. Yeah, I mean, you, if you want to, you can. But again, I, I, I don't think you have to because I think that's where, again, if you're just so, like you, you said, it described it perfectly. Like people, speakers that are so robotic that they're so in their own head and they're just thinking about what is my next line. And then I say this and then I walk over here and I hold my hand like this. And it's just like, ugh. Like it just, it just feels phony. It feels fake. It feels like over rehearsed. And so you want to practice and you want to rehearse and you want to know your material, but you also, like you said, you want to allow room for that spontaneity. You want to be comfortable on stage. And so a way to think about this is like, you are a human talking to a collection of other humans. So act human, like don't, don't be a robot. So when, uh, you know, when some moment happens in the room, whenever uh, a cell phone goes off or someone sneezes really loud or a slide doesn't work, don't feel like, Oh, oh dang, I don't know what to do now because this was not scripted. Uh, you're, you're comfortable and confident enough to be able to go with the material. So I know for, for me, I know for you as well, Pat, that, that we spend hours and hours and hours practicing and going over and rehearsing and practicing our material so that by the time we get up on stage, we're really, really comfortable. We're really, really confident with where we're going. And if something pops up or if something happens or if we get a, we forget a, you know, where we're going for a minute, it's not the end of the world because again, we've, we've done the work. So another, an, like a way to think about this is like, if you think back to like high school or middle school or uh, college or university, and you remember like going in to take a, a test or a quiz or an exam, and if you hadn't studied, you would go in feeling nervous and feeling panicked and feeling worried and feeling anxious. But if you had really done the work, like I really studied, I really prepared, like I did the practice quiz and I did the practice questions and I, I went over all my notes, I'm ready. You go in feeling a lot more confident, like I got this. And the best speakers on the planet, they do that. They, they don't just scribble down a couple notes and hop up and wing it and hope it all magically works out. It doesn't work like that. They spend hours and hours and hours and hours going over and over and over their material. Yeah. So by the time they get up on stage, like it looks natural. It looks like they're just making it up on the fly. But they've spent the amount of time behind the scenes to get comfortable with the material so that when they get up, it looks like it. But it's, that's not at all the case. I want to highlight something you said that. I think is a really important piece of advice is just kind of know where you're going. Because if you know where you're going, 
Well, at least even if you get off track or something happens, you can get right back on because you know where you're supposed to go. And I think that's the big piece of advice. I think in times where I've felt really nervous is where I didn't know exactly where I was going because yeah. number one, I didn't rehearse enough, but number two, I didn't understand the purpose of the talk as well. And I'm, I'm thinking back to pre-entrepreneurial days when I had to speak in front of my office and architectural related things. And I just, yeah, it was, it was, it was bad. But I know that although we are hopefully helping people feel a little bit more confident in what they're about to do, there's going to be a number of people who are listening right now who are a little bit nervous still. Maybe we've made them a little bit more nervous. <laughs> Nerves are going to be a part of this. How do you speak yeah. to those who are listening who are downright nervous? Speaking is one of the things that's the top fear for, for people. How yeah. do we address that? Yeah. So I think one thing would be important to note is I think oftentimes uh, nervousness can be confused with excitement. So if you think about, again, the, some of the, the most important, most significant moments of your life, again, you think about uh, whenever you proposed to April or when you think about whenever you went in and told your boss that you were quitting or whenever your kids were born or, uh, you know, the first time that, that, you know, some significant thing happened for you. You know, you, you think about like the, the butterflies that are swirling in your stomach and it's not because you're necessarily nervous. When you propose to April, you're probably pretty confident she was going to say yes. So you're not nervous like, oh, this is not going to work and this is going to be a complete failure, but you're just, you're excited, but the body's responding the same way. And so I want you to think of it that way, that whenever you feel that, whenever you feel that those butterflies swarming around, so to speak, uh, it's, it's your body's reaction to telling you that what you're about to do matters that it's significant, that it's important. I would be more concerned for the speaker who's like, man, I'm never nervous. I get up on stage and I don't feel, I don't feel anything. <laughs> like there's just this, this soulless person up there. And I've heard some speakers say that, and you know, maybe they, they are just so comfortable and confident that, that that's the case. But for a lot of people, they feel those nerves. And so my, my, the big thing I would say is like, that's okay. Again, it's your body's way of saying like what you're doing matters. So again, how do you deal with that? How do you overcome that? How do you make sure that it's not paralyzing to you? And I think a big part of it goes back to what we talked about in terms of the preparation standpoint is that if you get up on stage and you're just like, ah, I'm just going to scribble some thoughts on a napkin and hop up there and I hope it works. Like, honestly, I hope you fail. I hope it's a complete disaster because the audience deserves better than that. Like you shouldn't just wing it. Like the audience absolutely deserves your best. So the more, mm -hmm. the more prepared you are, the more you've spent more time, you've practiced, you've rehearsed, you've gone over it. Then the, by the time you get up there, the more comfortable you're going to be. Now, again, you're still going to be nervous. You're still going to have those butterflies and that's okay. But again, you're going to feel confident. Same with, again, whenever you're, whenever you're proposing to April, uh, you're really, really, really nervous, but you're still confident that, you know what? I think this is going to go well. I know I'm making the right decision. I know I've thought this through. I know I planned. This is a, a special moment uh, and it's all going to be okay. But again, it comes down to your, your, your practice, your preparation there. One other thing I would say to your point where you said, you know, I kind of worry about forgetting, you know, where I was at or forgetting what I was going to say. One thing I'll do sometimes, especially if I'm, if I'm doing like new material that I haven't done before is I will take a, an index card and I will scribble a bunch of keywords on it of where the talk's going to go. Okay. And so for example, like one of the things on your card, for example, Pat may, it may say, God bless you. And that's it. And you know, whenever you see that, that triggers your mind that I'm going to tell the God bless you story. And maybe that's a five minute story, but the only thing on that index card relating to that is those three words, God bless you. But that triggers your mind to know, okay, that's the story I'm going to tell. 
And so you have a series of, you know, 10 or 20 key words that it's not the manuscript that you've read. Now you've gone over the talk, you know where you're going, but just a couple of key, I'm going to do this word and then this word and then this word. And, then, and so I try to remember not necessarily the whole, here's, you know, 15 pages of manuscript, but I remember here's these 10 keywords. And if I just remember the order that these 10 keywords go in, that God bless you. Perfect. That's enough to get me through the next five, six minutes, uh, depending on the, on the story. Right? So you're just trying to have a couple of those key things. And that's the type of thing you can, you can also just stick in your back pocket there just to kind of have with you. Mm -hmm. and, and to that end, like if you forget what you're going to say next, one important point for speakers is remember that the audience takes their cues from you. So if you are uh, uncomfortable or if you're nervous or if you're uptight, it makes the audience feel nervous and uncomfortable and uptight. The audience is on your side. They want nothing better than for you to do a good job. You and I have both said in a lot of presentations and we don't want the speaker to suck. We want the speaker to be amazing because right. when I'm going to sit there and listen to it. Like I want you to be great. I want you to do great. And so the, again, the more human you are on stage, the easier it is to connect with you. So if you are going along, this happened to me just a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking at something and I just totally blanked. I just totally lost my, my train of thought. And I'm, I'm kind of talking with a, a, some people in the front row. I was like, what was I talking about? What was it? And it was, it was, it was a funny moment. I, I, I eventually got around to where I was going and we picked back up and it was no big deal, but because it was no big deal to me, it was no big deal to the audience. Cause again, I'm, I'm a human talking to a collection of other humans. So allow some of those like real authentic moments whenever you're speaking with people. Yeah, I love that. That's that's perfect advice. And I was just going to say the same thing. The audience is on your side and, and they want you to do well. And that, that was something that was big for me when I first started speaking. By the way, we keep bringing up this April proposing story. And you're gonna have to wait till the end of the episode to listen to that. Uh, so I'm gonna hook you guys. I in don't. There. I have zero clue what the story is. I know is, it so involves her wanting to pee. By the way, just so you know. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the things that okay, I love can to I, do. Can, my can I interrupt for a second? Oh, go ahead. Okay. From a speaking perspective, what you just did there is also really, really powerfully effective because what you did is you opened a loop, right? Talk more about so that. I'm going to finish this story later. I'm going to tell you about whenever I proposed to my wife and she may have peed a little, right? And immediately <laughs> we're like, wait, what? I, I got to know the story. So immediately like, I have no idea where the story is going. It could be funny. It could be sad. It could be uh, <laughs> embarrassing. It could be any number of things. But you've opened a loop in our minds where now it's like, I, I got to stick around. I don't, I don't know where the story is going, but I need to hear that story. So opening loops can be really, really effective as well for speakers. How do you do that gracefully in a way where it's not just clickbaity, quote unquote, like, hey, guys, I'm going to tell you the top secrets here, but I'm going to make you wait till the end. Like, how do you do that gracefully? Because it is smart to do. I mean, that's content 101 like let's keep people on edge so that they keep reading the next sentence so they keep watching the next minute of the video so they keep looking forward to the next part of the talk but any tips for loops that are open but not clickbaity if you will or or bait and switchy yeah. I mean, sometimes the, the, it depends on the nature of what you're talking about, you know? So if it's, I'm going to give you the, you know, the seven top marketing hacks for 2020, but you're going to have to sit through 30 minutes of stuff first before I get to it. It's like, eh, that feels a little, uh, not necessarily like, um, slimy, but it's just like, I mean, get to it sooner rather than later, you know? So yeah. if you're going to open a loop, you, you want to make sure that you are very clear on when you're going to close that. So it's not something that the audience is just like hanging on and hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. One thing that you can do is uh, you can watch comedians. Comedians do this really, really well yep. where they do what's what's called a callback where 
they will reference a joke that they told earlier, uh, a punchline that they told earlier. Uh, and there's some comedians that that do an insanely good job of this. And uh, just as a quick side note, like comedians in general are really, really good to learn from from a uh, a speaking standpoint because they're doing something similar. They're standing on stage for you know 45 minutes or 60 minutes. They're they're trying to captivate an audience and they're trying to keep their attention and keep them from looking at their phone and take the audience on a journey on a story. Uh, and so comedians can can do a really good job of this. But I think like uh, again, put yourself in the position of the audience. You know, is is as you're as you're you're giving the talk. If you are listening to this, are you feeling like, I mean, come on, dude, get to the point. Where, where are you going with this? Or is it feel like, no, no, like this is genuine. This is part of it. It's moving the story forward and I'm hanging on for this. This also goes back to something I mentioned at the very beginning where each time you give the same talk, you figure out what works and what doesn't work. Right, so you're 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 hearing from the audience, or you're seeing from the audience that uh, I opened this loop and I got to it, I closed it too quickly, or I opened this loop and I could tell, like maybe I heard some feedback afterwards that uh, man, I was I was really wondering if you if you'd forgot about that one part, or if you were going to get back to the other part. You said you were going to give us the yeah. you know the seven steps they to whatever. Might go like, so whatever happened to that guy? Or, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So like you you can hear some of that feedback that again helps you to make the talk better each time, uh, which is ultimately what what again makes you a better speaker is when you get up and speak, it's not like here's here's the first time I've given this talk, but it's actually, I, you know, I've told the story, you know, tens or hundreds of times and I've got it really dialed in and really refined and polished so that I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly when and where to open the loops so that best makes sense for the audience that they, you know, I take them on the journey that I'm, I've designed for them. Nice. Well, thanks for catching that. And I definitely will tell that story or else I'll leave people hanging and we don't want to do that. So I want to move on to slides. We talked about the content of the talk a little bit, but slides, a lot of people struggle with slides. A lot of people uh, fill them with bullet points. A lot of people do a lot of things with them. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to share mine after. Okay, I got strong feelings on slides. I know, right. I know you do. So here's here's my two cents, okay? Slides should be an enhancement and not a replacement for your talk. Slides should be an enhancement and not a replacement for your talk. So let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, I remember my wife was uh, attending a conference recently and she was sitting in a session. She texted me. She's like, hey, the session was supposed to start several minutes ago. The presenter was having some trouble with her slides uh, and she told the audience, the slides aren't working. I can't give my talk until we get the slides working. To which I would reply, then you should not be up there. What we mean by that and, and wait for, for speakers to think about this as like a litmus test is let's imagine five minutes before you're about ready to speak, the slides go down. The projector breaks, the computer doesn't work, something's not working with the technology, which again is a real thing. There's a lot of things that can go wrong it's with technology. Yeah, like if that happens, which it can and will and does happen, if that happens, your talk still has to stand on its own. You can't say like, well, I'd love to, but I'd love to give my talk. I just can't because I don't have slides. Then you're not ready. You shouldn't be up there. So again, all that to say, like your slide should be an enhancement, not a replacement. This is where I think a lot of speakers have a tough time is they spend more time like worrying about the slides or worrying about how it's going to look or trying to think through what their next slides are. And they do it, and all of a sudden the talk becomes the secondary thing. And so the the, the slides, mm -hmm. again, it should be an enhancement. If, if it's a replacement, if you're just reading off the slides or if you're just using those as your cue cards, then just show us a video. Like you don't need to be up there. But uh, so so I, I have strong feelings about slides from that standpoint. But I will say that slides are incredibly, incredibly effective if done well and if done right. So if, for example, let's imagine, uh, again, we have no idea where this engagement story is going, but I'll, I'll jump on that train. If you were describing the story to us and telling us about that, 
It's one thing for us, all of us to be listening to it right now. It's something totally different if you said, hey, let me show you a picture of right after we're engaged, here's that moment. That makes it so much more real than, than what you can describe it as. And so, so pictures especially can be incredibly, incredibly effective and incredibly powerful. Uh, but again, they cannot be a replacement for the talk. Uh, one other quick note on slides is humor is really, really, uh, a really effective tool for speakers, but a lot of people don't worry about, or a lot of people worry about, uh, humor and I don't feel like I'm funny or I don't know how to deliver a good punchline or a joke or uh, a story or anything like that. Images and videos can work really, really well for humor. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're showing a meme or you're showing a funny picture or you're playing a short video. Uh, those things can work really, really well where you don't necessarily have to come up with a humor. You just showed a slide and people associate the, the humor of the slide with you as the speaker. So that's another, again, just kind of side note there. So again, big thoughts, big picture on it. Slides can work really, really well. But they need to be an enhancement, not a replacement for your talk. Okay, we're in agreement there, 100%. I thought I thought you were going to go no slides because you're that I, adamant I, about how important like the talk is. Well, I, I personally don't use slides, but I don't think they're necessarily a bad thing because I know I know a lot of speakers who don't use slides. I know a lot of speakers who use slides, and it's not necessarily one is better or worse than the other. Because, like I said, you can do things with slides and show things that you absolutely cannot describe with words. So slides can be really, really, really effective. I just think oftentimes one, they're used wrong, and two, they can. There's so many technical glitches and issues and things that can go wrong. I, I remember speaking at something recently, and a, a buddy of mine and I were, were standing uh, backstage, and he was getting ready to go out there, and we were kind of talking about his talk. And the only thing he was talking about was his slides. Was okay, I'm thinking about this slide and this slide and this slide, and I'm worried about this slide. And I was like, man, if you're you're so in your head about the slides, what about the talk? What about the talk you're getting ready to give? So again, slides can be really, really effective, but just make sure you're doing it in addition to not in replacement of the talk. If anybody's seen me speak on stage before, typically you'll see me use slides, but typically you'll just see an image with no words to enhance the story, to bring people into the environment that I'm talking about. For example, if I was telling a story about our wedding, right, our beautiful wedding reception, I might even crack a joke and go, oh, and let me show you a picture from the reception. And then it's a picture of like the fire festival of complete disaster, right? Because <laughs> then there's a little humor there, right? And, and right, then I can, right. no, I'm just kidding. Here's the actual picture. And then it's like gorgeous. And that's like another quick way to use slides that I love within humor. It's just like people expect one thing and you show them something else. That's what a comedian does. And yes. you could do that with slides really easily. And I, and I feel my slides do a lot better job than, than I do at being funny. Um, and I use that to my advantage. But now, I, now I'm lost. Where was I going with that? <laughs> I don't know. That's okay. That's fine. I'll give you a quick example. So I remember a couple of years ago, I was speaking at a conference and a, a mutual friend of, of you and I, I won't tell you who it was, he, he gave a keynote. He did a phenomenal job. It was amazing. And uh, one of the funniest parts of the talk was he showed a, a video. It was like a, a one-minute video in the middle of it. It was hysterical. Uh, it was very, very good. And right after his session, I was doing a workshop about speaking. And um, I, so I asked the audience, uh, we, were, we were talking about a variety of different things related to speaking. And I, I said, how many of you guys enjoyed the, the previous speaker that we just saw? Everyone's like, oh, yeah, they were amazing. I said, how many of you thought that that speaker was really, really funny? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, they were very funny. And they are very uh, – very, very funny speaker. But I asked the audience there in that workshop, I said, what was the funniest part of their talk? And they all said the video. The video. <laughs> so again, think about like, they all assume like, oh, that speaker was hilarious. And again, funny speaker. But the thing that they thought was the funniest was playing a video. All the speaker did was press a button 
of a video he didn't even create, but the audience connects the dots and says, oh, that speaker's funny because of the video that they showed. That's so cool. again, videos, memes, GIFs, uh, pictures, like those can work really, really well for humor. Yeah. And stay within your style. I would just say be you and use that stuff to sort of enhance what it is you're doing. Like you said, I, I remember where I was going. The other way that I use slides is typically uh, when I make a point or I have uh, like I'm really driving home a point. I'll typically have a slide that represents that point And then I actually have the word or the combination of words, no bullet points ever. Um, and that's sort of my style. And I have a very popular YouTube video. It's actually my most popular YouTube video. 1.2 million views at this point, Grant. Uh, nice. How to create an awesome slide deck which is pretty crazy that it's not even what I usually create YouTube videos about, but it somehow got picked up in the algorithm. So uh, I'll cool. link to that. We'll also link to the successful speaker, which is you and Jeff Goins' new book. Jeff's been a guest on here several times. Very stoked about this new book. It's called The Successful Speaker. Before I get into one final question I wanna ask you, I'd love to just have you talk a little bit about the book, who it's for and where they can get it. Yeah. So the, like you said, the, the book is The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, Building Your Platform. And so uh, I was a, I've been a professional speaker for well over a decade. I've done hundreds of speaking engagements and uh, really learned a lot about the ins and outs of the speaking world and how do you get gigs and how do you book gigs and who hires speakers and how much do you charge and what do, what do they pay speakers to talk about and just the ins and outs of that world. And so we took everything that we've learned, we put that into the book to walk people through uh, a step-by-step process of how they can find and book gigs as well. And some people listening right now have aspirations to be a full-time speaker. They want to do, you know, 50, 75, 100 gigs a year. And some people would say, I, I don't want to do that much. I have other things going, but I would love to do, you know, two or three or four or five gigs a year. But I just don't know, like, how do you find gigs? And again, how much do you charge? And like, how does this world work? So wherever you are in your speaking journey, however much speaking you want to be doing, the book will give you that playbook, that that guide, that step-by-step -step manual of the steps that you need to take in order to find and book gigs. So yeah, the book is uh, The Successful Speaker out in stores everywhere. Amazon and all those good places. All the places, all cool. the things. Well, congrats to you and congrats to Jeff. Jeff, I know you listened to the show and you've been on a while uh, before too. Cool that you guys are collaborating together on that. So we'll put links in the show notes and all that good stuff. The last question I want to ask you is about Rookie mistakes. What what are some of the most common rookie mistakes? I'll go over some myself. Maybe we can go back and forth for a little bit and just uh, hopefully help everybody out who's probably still a little bit nervous, but hopefully a little bit less and um, hopefully excited about their upcoming gig. Yeah, I'll take a, a different angle on this. I'll take the, the business angle on this for a second. I think a mistake that a lot of speakers make is that they're not clear on who it is that they want to speak to and what it is that the, the problem that they're going to solve for an audience. Because for a lot of people who are interested in speaking, we just we just like speaking. Pat, you and I, we geek out on speaking. It's just fun, right? So we would speak to any audience about anything if we could. But we also both recognize that's a horrible approach to business. So when someone asks uh, a speaker like, hey, who do you speak to? And they're like, well, I, I just speak to people. I speak to humans. It's like, eh, that doesn't work. Or if you say, what do you, what do you speak about? And they say, well, what do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything. Like that, that, That's not relevant. That doesn't happen at all. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be really, really clear as a speaker of solving a very specific problem for a very specific audience. So one way that we talk about this as we say, you want to be the steakhouse and not the buffet. Be the steakhouse and not the buffet. And what we mean by that is if, Pat, if you and I wanted a, uh, a good steak, actually, uh, uh, we'll use tacos as an example. Uh, you. you. and I, you know, we, we've come to, I've come to San Diego a few times. We've had tacos at, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the place. Puesto. Do you know the, Puesto, yeah. So we've had, we've had tacos there a couple times together and they, they're amazing tacos, right? And you know what they don't do? They don't serve lasagna. 
and they don't serve pizza and they don't serve any number of other things, but they do tacos really, really, really well. Right. And so that's what you want to do. You want to be like, I am the steakhouse on the taco stand. I do this one specific thing with this one specific audience. And we assume that, that actually the more things we can speak about, the more audiences we can talk to, that the more opportunities we have, the more things I can put on the buffet, the more people will come. But the opposite is the case by being the go-to person, by being the go-to resource or authority on a certain subject, rather than trying to be all things for all people, by being very specific and narrow and clear, it actually becomes easier to find gigs, which again is counterintuitive. But the more narrow, the more clear, the more focused you are, the easier it is to find gigs. So I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of new speakers make is that we try to speak on anything and everything to everybody and nobody at the same time. So be narrow, be clear, be focused, solve one specific problem for one specific audience. Cool. I'll offer a mistake and then I'll have you close with one more if that's cool. So the biggest mistake I see a lot of speakers make, especially first-time speakers, is they're so focused on their little moment of time on stage that they forget there's a whole conference going on Mm -hmm. with people that they could talk to and connect with and build relationships with. This is also sort of a business thing too. But at the same time, what really impresses a lot of audiences is when a speaker gets in the audience. So if you're able to spend time at the conference, not just kind of jet in, speak and come out and leave, but actually get to know who the audience is, shake hands with them. I like to do it in front of where the registration booth is because that welcomes a lot of people. I almost kind of Mm -hmm. take on the role of, hey, I'm going to actually become a part of the show here and actually welcome people in and make them feel comfortable too. That also, as a side note, makes me feel comfortable about who I'm speaking with and, and getting to know them. And a lot of people, especially introverts who are just afraid of meeting people, if you can go in and I'm an introvert as well, but I do this because it it means so much to them. Eventually, when the speaker survey comes out, I know that my name comes up a lot because I've already built a connection with people personally throughout the show and people have seen me shaking hands, being in the audience, being a part of the crowd, getting involved, not being afraid to, to, to put myself out there. And as a result... I get asked to speak again the next year or I get recommended to another talk. Any commentary on that? Yeah, I'll piggyback on that with another kind of business tip is part of what you are hired to do as a speaker is what you do on stage, is the content that you deliver, the way in which you deliver and how you, you captivate and engage with an audience. But the other part of what you are hired to do is who you are and how you are to work with off the stage. And what I mean by that is if you are amazing on stage, if you just absolutely crush it, but you are a pain in the butt to work with off the stage. And by pain in the butt, I don't mean that you're a prima donna or that you're a diva or that you demand a jar of red Skittles before you'll go on stage. Not, not that at all, but meaning like you're unorganized or you're sloppy or you drop the ball on things, or they have to follow up uh, multiple times with you on things, or they said, we need you to be here for a sound check at this and you show up late or those type of things. Like those type of things really really, really make a big difference to clients. I'll give you an example. When when I was speaking uh, full-time, I was doing 60, 70 gigs a year, and we would get these recommendation letters and these testimonials uh, after events. And the the letters would say things like, Grant was great to work with, but we loved working with Lisa. Now, Lisa helped <laughs> me on the back end. She helped me with like the travel and the contracts and the logistics and uh, thank you stuff and all of that stuff off the stage, right? Uh, and basically like, it's it's like if we go to if Pat if you and I go to Puesto to get uh to get tacos and the food's amazing but the service sucks and everything's dirty and it's gross in there like it just ruins the whole experience mm-hmm. so even if the food's amazing so even if you're an amazing speaker but you're dropping the ball off the stage then it's really going to have a, a negative impact on whether or not people want to work with you because you got to remember from a, a, an event planner standpoint you are one of hundreds if not thousands of moving pieces and balls that they're trying to juggle and so the easy 
easier you can be to work with offstage, the more likely that they're going to want to be to work with you again, to recommend you, to refer you, to want to have you back in the future. And so like you said, Pat, some of it is is the, you know, the the details in terms of the ease of working together, but some of it like you said is just being around in the conference. Now, I'm introverted as well, so uh, I my my natural tendency is to want to I want to go speak and I want to go to my room or I want to go home. Uh, I, I want to just be uh, go back into my clamshell. Mm-hmm. But I know one of the best things that I can do is to be around, to attend other sessions, to meet people, to talk with people, to talk with other uh, speakers, to be a part of the conference. Because again, that's the type of stuff you exact, you're exactly right that that feedback gets back to the client that, you know what, Pat was great on stage, but I had a chance to talk with Pat at lunch and that was way more valuable than any other session that I heard because I, I got a chance to connect with him. That was so helpful. That was so meaningful that he did that. Like that stuff is really, really, really significant and important. So it doesn't mean like, okay, if I'm going to a five-day conference and I'm speaking for 30 minutes that I have to be at the five-day conference and be at every possible thing. You don't have to do that. But you, again, remember that part of what they're hiring you to do is on stage and part of what they're hiring you to do is who you are and the person that you are interact or the, the people that you're interacting with and how you're interact, interacting with them off stage. Love it. Thank you, Grant. And good luck to you. Like you're sitting here listening to this. Uh, kudos to you for wanting to do better. And uh, hopefully this has been helpful for you. Grant, where can people learn more from you and about you and get more help? Yeah, so everything that we do for speakers is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We have several different podcast episodes over there, one of which uh, you've been a guest on, several different blog posts. We also have people ask a lot of times about speaking fees and how much should I charge as a speaker? And the reality is, is that it depends, which is a horrible answer. Uh, so we put together a free speaking fee calculator people can check out over at myspeakerfee.com. Myspeakerfee.com, you answer a couple questions, takes you less than a minute. Uh, it will tell you what you should be charging as a speaker. But yeah, all types of resources and free tools over at uh, thespeakerlab.com. Cool. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. And good luck to everybody. Thanks, Pat. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Grant Baldwin from thespeakerlab.com. You can check out his and Jeff Goen's new book, The Successful Speaker, anywhere you can get books, including Amazon, of course, and all the show notes, the links, all the great resources mentioned in this episode are going to be at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 416. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 416. And when you get on stage, just, you know what to do. You just gotta do it. Don't be scared. Don't let the fear get in the way. You gotta get through it and you will. And hopefully you'll be much better off now after listening to the show. All right, so in the middle of this episode, I had said that I was gonna tell you the story about how April, my wife and I, got engaged. While I tell the story, I have a special guest with me. Do you wanna say hello? Hello. Who are you? Um, I'm Keone Flynn. And who are you? Your son. There you go. Okay. Uh, welcome back on the show. It's been a while. Yeah, thanks. Do you want to hear the story about how your mom and I got engaged? Uh, sure. Do you know what it means to be engaged? Uh, sort of. What do you think it means? It means where you're not married, but you're in love. You're in love and you are going to plan to get married. Mm-hmm. So the time that I asked mommy... To be engaged with me means like, hey, I'd love to spend the rest of my life with you kind of thing. Cool? Mm-hmm. Uh, and one day you might do that too. Okay, we'll talk more about that later though. For now, I want to tell a quick story about how April and I, your mom and I, got engaged. So your mom and I had been dating for a while and uh, I loved her lots, right? And so I wanted to ask her to marry me. So I had this big plan. I lived in an apartment, small apartment, and I took all the furniture out of the room 
the bed, the desk, my computer, everything. It was completely empty. And I moved it to the other side of the living room. And my roommate at the time was just like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'll tell you later. So an empty room, maybe a 12 by 12 bedroom. I bought a bunch of candles. I bought a lot of like white linens and I got, a, uh, you know, um, all this stuff that was like really romantic, right? So I put all the candles all over the room. And in the middle of the room, I put a little heart shape out of the candles. And your mom was supposed to come home from work around four o'clock p.m. that day. And I had lit all the candles because, you know, I knew she was gonna be coming to the apartment soon because we, we hung out every day. And um, I lit all the candles and then it was 4.15, 4.30, the candles are getting smaller and smaller. And I said, what the heck is going on? Like your mom's not, she's not coming and all the candles are gonna be gone by the time that she arrives. So I blow out all the candles. And then as soon as I do that, of course, she texts me and says, hey, I'm, I'm on my way. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I, I reignite the, the candles. And my plan was to have her come in and then I was gonna press a button on my remote control to start playing some music, music that I knew she loved uh, from Peter Cetera. And then I would ask her to come into the heart in the middle of the room with me and I get down on one knee and I give her her engagement ring, right? And then we'd like dance and celebrate and then go out to dinner that night. That, that was the plan. So I was really nervous. I was like sweating and I had worn like really nice clothes and it was like I was starting to get pit stains on my armpits and stuff. Just when you're doing something like that, you get really nervous. Well, she eventually came in and I said, I have a surprise for you. And she was like, why are you dressed up? Are we going somewhere? And I said, well, let me show you. And I took her into the bedroom. And of course, there's like 50 candles lit and it's gorgeous, it's romantic. And I asked her to come in all the while. I didn't realize just how much of a fire hazard this was. I mean, it's probably something that the building owner would not want to happen. So I bring her in and we dance and we kiss and we celebrate and then we go out for dinner. And it's really cool. Like she said yes, and it was very romantic. Years later, I found out that when mommy came in the room, when I brought her in, right? And she saw the candles there and I, I got down on one knee. Apparently she really had to go to the bathroom. Like she had to go pee really bad and was torn because she wanted to say, hold on, I need to go pee. But obviously that would have killed the mood, right? So she didn't do that. She muscled through. And, uh, and, and then after, you know, a few minutes of dancing, she was like, okay, I got to go to the bathroom. And I just figured it was because she was like really happy and really nervous, but I didn't realize that she had to pee the whole time. And that's how mommy and daddy got engaged. Cool. And then we got married. And then um, I also got laid off between that time and I started my business. And then we had um, bought Gizmo, our puppy. And then soon after, mommy was pregnant with you. Cool. And that's the story. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. Most important lesson here, close the loops on the stories that you're gonna tell. Big shout out to my team for reminding me that I had yet to close the loop. So hopefully it was worth sticking around to the end. And if you heard this story, let me know what you think and uh, just let me know that you, you stuck it out all the way through for me. At Pat Flynn on Instagram or Twitter. I appreciate you. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. Peace. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So 
So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point. So I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 